1: One is about the Oath Keepers and the dangers of militia groups infiltrating state and local governments and how we need to act in local and state elections in order to get these people out. And the second story is about supply chain issues around the country and how the Biden administration is working to combat them. Let's start off with the bombshell report that the Oath Keepers, one of the militia groups that were there during the insurrection, had their members list hacked. 35,000 people were listed as some kind of member in the organization. That includes 10 sitting state legislatures, sheriffs, poll workers, teachers, doctors, people in the public and private sectors that we look up to to, as people who uphold institutions that people who we're supposed to trust as experts. I just have to ask, are we sure that economic anxiety is the real cause of death here for democracy? Because I can't really find it. This is why we need to work on state and local elections. This is why voting matters. These Oath Keepers, the three percenters, whatever, you know, cabal of incels and bored, middle-aged Christian, mostly white men, but they meet up and wave their guns. They're the brown shirts, they're the foot soldiers, the vigilantes for the Trumpist GOP. They showed up on the 6th and they're gonna do it again like Bill Maher just warned us about. And it doesn't help that Fox News and Tucker's reverse Michael Moore, documentary, this attempt to be Dinesh D'Souza, these people are are already agitated. They're gonna show up again. They're being sued for another event, for another, you know, insurrection. And we need to stop these people by voting them out. I'm not calling for political persecution because that shouldn't happen, but we need to look out for people who are calling for taking up arms against the United States government.
0: We do have to vote them out because frankly, these politicians are dangerous because they're associated with a a very far right-wing anti-government military-like group, which preys on former members of the military when it comes to recruitment. And I believe, just in terms of numbers, 21 um, members of the Oath Keepers were arrested in connection to the January 6th insurrection. And it just goes to show, right, the rising danger of right-wing extremism and how more brazen they've actually begun um, ever since we've had a president who's allowed them to flourish. The fact that Americans vote for these politicians, I think it shows an education gap, which has really allowed hate to flourish. So I feel like, you know, if we improved education and we taught Americans and future generations about the dangers of of, you know any type of extremism for that matter, but particularly here, right-wing extremism, I mean, they've become so brazen. Uh, Idaho House Representative Chad Christensen, he was asked if he was going to renounce his membership, and to quote him, he said, no way. So right-wing extremism is very much alive. And like you mentioned, Jacob, these politicians, they may not be on a federal level, but they can still make very substantial changes in their local communities.
1: When you're talking about education, that's a long-term plan because a lot of these guys aren't going to change. The middle-aged Americans who are bored and want to be a part of some radical revolution, that they're, they're done. You're not going to be educated and you're know, taught to not do this. Like we need to do this like short-term we need to arrest these people. Like we need to like arrest people who are at January six, charge them with insurrection. The, the right way to do this, the legal system, to actually go after the masterminds and the foot soldiers involved in this coup, this hostile takeover, and the future hostile takeovers are going to attempt.
0: So what well, we've yeah. got to keep in mind, though, that there are boundaries, right? Although these people do have extremely disturbing political views. I mean, it's within their right as American citizens to hold these views, as long as they're not using okay. it to incentive direction, as some of them are doing. You can't really get all of these people out.
1: Right. That, that's true. But that means that means going after the leaders, Biggs, Brooks, Cawthorn, Green, Bover, Gosar, Meadows, Ali Alexander, you know, Trump himself. We know that there was a meeting between these people and probably a million other breadcrumbs that show that they were all connected to January 6th and they're going to do it again. So, Mayor Garland, where are you? What are you doing? Indict these people, listen to the January 6th Committee, and you know, hold the people in contempt of Congress, or just get a special counsel to do it, because we need to do this right now, or else 2024 is going to be an absolute disaster.
0: Our next story is about the Biden administration and what they're currently doing to resolve these supply chain issues. The administration has recently relaxed Trump era tariffs on aluminum and steel from the EU, more more specifically, a 25% tariff on steel imports and a 10% tariff on aluminum imports. However, um, it's worth mentioning, Biden and these European leaders, they still aim to prevent China from flooding the market with very cheap steel. Because what happens is when you flood the market with very cheap steel, it drives down prices of steel so much that manufacturers in the U.S. pretty much can't compete. The end of these regulations, I think, will definitely facilitate trade between the EU and the United States far better. Better trade means that these supply chain issues will hopefully be resolved a lot faster. And it's worth mentioning that I think the supply chain issues are, are, you know, a very natural economic result of the COVID-19 pandemic because demand essentially dropped for many things like cars. And so prices for these items would fall and then, and then you know, supply of these goods would decrease. And now that, you know, we're moving in a far better direction, we're opening up and the pandemic's mostly getting better in many parts of the world, prices will inevitably go up. It's why you're seeing higher gas prices and mostly higher prices on almost everything. And I think another question is like, will Biden lift Trump-euro tariffs on Chinese goods? Because, I mean, that I, that I don't really have an answer to at the moment because, on one hand, I mean, we can, we can debate how effective these tariffs have actually been, but they're intended to protect American manufacturers. But we're also very reliant on trade from China, and I think relaxing these tariffs would better facilitate trade, which is something we definitely need to consider in the supply chain issues we've been having. But um, I guess to conclude, prices won't be going down anytime soon. It'll really take some time for these new measures that the Biden administration has taken to actually you know, have its full effect on the economy.
1: This isn't buy and stole Christmas. It's not that people to judge doesn't care about his job. It's that this requires actual governance, and that takes time. I will say that I personally believe that you should be rejecting most tariffs, even with China. Like, Josh Hawley's recent op-ed that, oh, we need to protect our workers against China by putting tariffs, like, that doesn't work. Like, the Trump trade war was bad. Like, it didn't help. It actually hurt American consumers, Because higher prices, yes, we need to protect our workers, but we need free trade. With Europe, enough with the thing about steel, enough with the tariffs. We need to have as near universal free trade as possible. Because manufacturing has already long since died. And I'm not talking like, oh, the the 90s and 2000s. I'm talking like the 70s. The factories in New England and Massachusetts, right before the Massachusetts miracle, they're done. Like, we have already been talking about the forgotten men and women for decades. It already was going down to the automation. Like, it's not trade. Trade is not the main culprit here. Like, yes, it's a factory, but it's not the one thing we should be going after by using backwards tariffs. Like, the only tariff I really support is carbon, because that's something we absolutely do need to re- decrease production of. That's something we do need to talk about, but that's a story for another time. What do you you think?
0: I don't know. I I definitely agree with you that uh, Trump's uh, trade war with China hasn't really been most effective in terms of actually protecting American business and uh, workers. But I will say that governments all over the world really have, you know, have to strike a balance between globalization and protecting, you know, their own workers. Right. Because as I mentioned earlier, for example, when it comes to Chinese steel if you allow it to flood the market, like American steel manufacturers are going to go completely out of business because the price will be so cheap that they won't be able to make a profit and they'll just, you know, go out of business. And that's an effect of, you know, what you basically see in just in a competitive market. But, you know, on the other hand, the world is far more globalized than ever before when it comes to trade. And I feel like the U.S.'s declining trade, like you mentioned, since the 70s is a symptom of just globalization. I don't think I don't think, you know, we should look down upon that because that's just a natural you know, result. I mean, if other countries are able to build better cars, better trucks than the U.S., then, you know, they have the economic advantage. And that's, and that's the fact. So I do think that tariffs, for the most part, have been pretty ineffective. And I do support more you know globalization, especially with the EU.
1: I will say that one exception I have to this is that China is the biggest producer of electric vehicles and a lot of green technology. We should be doing that. Like, that's the one thing we should absolutely protect is that we should be building better nuclear reactors, better electric vehicles, more charging stations. Something like green energy is something we both need for the climate and something that could be very lucrative. Because, you know, well, one
0: we dot- should, but just our politicians on Capitol Hill have connections to coal, other not very green uh, sources of energy. And that's the thing that's been holding us back. I mean, Biden wanted to do that. And Joe Manchin's cutting it out.
1: I mean, it remains to be seen what's going to happen because there's still some debate to go. But yeah, I mean, yes, it is being hard back. But you're right. That's why a lot of the lobbying needs to be solved. A lot of the uh, campaign finance needs to be resolved if we actually want to get through a lot of these other issues. But you know, as of right now, you know, that's the argument we should be making. Like by say we, I mean Americans, not just on the left, not just in the center, not just on the right, like Americans should be making to our, our representatives, including Joe Manchin, including Kirsten Senna. It's good for protecting workers. It's good for the environment and it helps us make it competitive and help. And it does help us with trade in the global market.
0: It does. And I, and I would argue that, you know, unlike with conventional cars where Japanese and German companies like, you know, Toyota and Audi have essentially taken over the market, even here in the U.S., you know, even though China is the largest producer of electrical vehicles, I still think the U.S. has a shot at, you know, building up an industry like that and possibly competing or even overtaking China in that regard. <laughs>
1: And that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero's Talk Poly with an I. And add or email us to ask your burning questions.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.